Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Picky my, kaki my, and welcome to our changing world from RNZ National. We're off to Lake Wanaka to meet an amazing bird that's turned into an unexpected tourist attraction. Three years ago, retired penguin and albatross biologist John Darby noticed that a single pair of Australasian crested grebes kept trying to breed near a local marina. But time and time again, they failed as the lake levels went up and down. So he cobbled together a floating nest platform for them, and the rest, as they say, is history. Alison joins John to find out about this remarkable waterfowl and his conservation project that has captured the hearts of the locals. The marina is actually basically a floating mass of boats, uh, all attached to a construction that, most importantly, rises and falls with lake levels. So in the last two days, the Lake Wanaka has gone up almost a metre and a half. It's actually the highest I've seen it in the last 10, 12 years. Uh, so a lot of water, and it's changed the configuration of the whole of the bay very substantially. So we should explain where we are. The marina on Lake Wanaka is actually just almost within a stone's throw of downtown Wanaka. Yeah, oh yes, yes, very, very close. And the grebes that we're after, there's two right in front there's of us. There's two grebes, a pair of grebes right in front of us. We've actually got a total of 14 floating platforms in the water at the moment. Nine nests have hatched in the last week, week and a half. So at the moment there's only three nests that are occupied um, and, and being defended by birds. Uh, two of those are also in the process of hatching. So it's sort of very much all on at the moment. Oh, and another pair? Another pair this yeah. is certainly Grebe headquarters, John. <laughs> the most we've actually recorded at any one time, I think, was 18 Grebes. Now, what's going on out there, John? There's, like, so much action here. There's yeah. a whole lot of Grebes interacting and yeah. chuckling and the, the, rushing is, at each other. Yeah, this is territoriality. There's a pair there doing, going through courtship and pair, another pair here arguing about something. Compared to Lake Hayes, these are very, very close together. We've dealt with a total of 17 pairs that we know of in an area of probably not much more than about 100 metres. The behaviour of these birds, to me, is quite different to what the literature would have you believe. There's a lot of interesting things about them. I mean, one of the greatest privileges I've had is being pecked by these grebes. I have been pecked numerous times when I've tried to find out how many eggs they've gone or I've cross-fostered something, and having to lift the birds off their nest to, to just see what's going on. And, and they're positive wimps compared to penguins, but they peck away at you, and, and I think it's a wonderful privilege, to be quite honest. <laughs> hey, well, no, I think we should wind back a little bit. So, a grebe, what kind of a bird is it? It's a bird all on its own. It's, it's got a very small family, it's about 20 species of this type of bird, including damp chips, loons, uh, throughout the world. They're certainly from uh, the northern hemisphere originally. There is a species which is common to New Zealand and Australia. It's not a duck, 
It's nothing like a duck, actually. It's one of the most elegant waterboards there is. There's a pair swimming towards us right now. They're a bit, bit larger than a, a mallard duck, if you like, but they've got a very long, um, sinuous neck, and they have a crest on the top of the head and also around the sides of the face, which were, are called tippets, um, which is just really peculiar. These birds coming towards us now may have a chick. No, I don't think so. So anyway, the, the, one of the other interesting things which I've discovered is that they're probably the most aquatic of all birds. The only time they're out of the water is when they're actually on the nest. Uh, they do move around between lakes in the South Island, but interestingly, I cannot find anybody who's ever seen these things flying. So basically, people are saying the reason of that is because they fly at night. I really honestly don't know. I have never seen them flying. And here's a pair. So they're coming really Come, close. They've yeah. got their legs are right at the back of their body. Right. They're kicking along with them. The crest is, it's almost like a double crest, and it sits parallel with the back of the head and then woofs out the back a bit like a fascinator. And yep. their face, they, their cheeks are almost a chestnutty, beautiful, fluffy, chestnutty brown. Yep, yep. They, they, they are very beautiful birds, incredible swimmers, absolutely. They dive down to about six and a half, seven metres. They're very, very fast and very agile on the water. Their feet are not webbed. They've got, actually, they're, they're lobed. And this pair have gone back to that nest. This is actually nest uh, 12. And it looks to me as though they're becoming very interested in, in prospecting that one. So their nesting strategy itself is whereby they actually will um, build their nest generally close to the shore, 5 to 10 metres from the shore, but on floating platforms. Usually natural floating platforms. Usually natural yeah. floating platforms. And what that achieves for them is that the major threat to them from predators will be from the land. And they literally, they just, and I've seen them, they just stand up in the nest and fall in the water. And that's their way of getting out of the predators. You see, the other one was amazing. This bird out here was, was stretching its, one of its legs. And, and it's extraordinary because it's, when you do see that, it looks like a television aerial that they've got sticking out of their bottom. I should mention, actually, that the, the generic name, Podiceps, um, for this species means bum legs. What do they eat, John? Their, their bill is very um, delicate and pointy. Oh, yes, and it's very sharp, actually. They're fish eaters entirely, although there's some suggestion that they will also feed on weeds. Their clutch size is between three and five. What I'm working out here is the first clutch seems to be about five eggs, and usually within two months of the first clutch they will start on a second one. That clutch is invariably has three eggs. So we can't mark these birds at all, but that's some indicator of how I can follow particular birds, particularly coming back to nest sites. This thing of not being able to mark them, that's because normally to mark birds you'd put a, a leg band on. We'd put a leg. And of course you can't ever see the legs of no, these because they don't it, get up and walk around. It, exactly, yeah. yeah that's, it's very frustrating because it would make things a lot simpler so coming back to their, their nesting strategy on nesting platforms, they also do something which I is very interesting. They have what we basically asynchronous hatching, which means that from the minute the first egg is laid, they start to incubate it. And 
eggs are laid two to three days apart. So when they do eventually hatch out, you'll have an age hierarchy within the clutch. The other thing that they have in terms of an anti-predator strategy is that the chicks are nursed on the backs of the adults for the first two to three weeks. And, and these, this is really quite a charming behaviour to see a grebe swimming around with three or four little heads poking out of its back. OK, so they've got these floating nests and it's really just a place to look after the to eggs. Look, look after the eggs. But one of the things I've also discovered, and I'm really not quite sure whether, what validity it has, but 98% of all of the nests here have one infertile egg. And what's really quite interesting is that the birds will, after the last chick has hatched, they will stay on the nest trying to incubate that one egg for another four to five days. That's of considerable advantage to the chicks. So the longer they can stay in the nest, uh, the better. So here's one on, on the nest here. This is nest four. And she's going to get off the nest. She's a bit scared. She's hopped off the nest, but she's just hanging around a metre or two off, and she's so got one, two, three, so four is, eggs. They've got four eggs in here. We'll move away from here. This so she can pop the, back on. So she can get back on the nest. We're between two boats here on nest four, and the boats themselves are barely a metre away from the nest, and the birds will be quite indifferent once these boats start to move. I've seen them move out, um, and they'll stay on the nest while the, the boat is moving in and out of here, most times. What do the boaties think of having these grebes nesting in amongst the their boaties? The boaties think they're great. This nest here... Oh, that's super nest number eight parked out in the middle. That's nest number eight parked out in the middle. That looks like the penthouse suite. <laughs> <laughs> this one, with the big storm we had the other night, actually broke free and floated almost 200 metres uh, up to the end, or close to Bullock Creek, actually. So did you have to go and tow it back so again? So we, I towed it back. So it's got four eggs. And, and the eggs survived that the journey? The eggs survived that journey. And what was amazing was that um, we couldn't see what had happened to the adults, but the nest was, to all intents and purposes, um, deserted over there. We basically dragged it along to the shore until it was opposite there. And then I attached it to my kayak, and no sooner had I started to pull it out here than I noticed that there was a bird that was swimming furiously about two feet behind uh, the platform. And within 30 seconds of anchoring it there, the bird was back on the nest. There was nobody on that nest for three hours. Uh, the sun was out, so we're just hoping that, in fact, that the eggs were kept warm enough so that they, they remain um, uh, fertile. Um, but... In terms of nest site tenacity, they're very, very hot on it, very much so. I mean, crazy things. The birds have nested on the shore, and we've taken those nests uh, and rebuilt them, put them onto platforms, towed them over to some of these piers, and the birds follow us, and they accept the nest. Uh, we had one bear birds uh, nested on the back of this boat here, on the transom of, of, of the boat which is, you know, not much of a future once the boaty wants to take it out. So we moved that one onto a platform, and again it was uh, accepted by the birds. Let's go to nest seven. Let's move up here quiet, and she'll talk to you. Can you see how many eggs she's got? She's just got one egg, John. OK, so she's just laid. OK, that's good. When we started this whole programme, 
we actually started with a single pair of birds. And this pair of birds apparently failed year after year. And I'd only ever seen one grebe in my life until I came to Wanaka, and I thought, wow, this is just amazing. So the challenge was to see whether we could get that one pair to breed. And was that by building a floating nest That was by building floating nests, yeah. yeah. So the problem was this lake level, as you said, it's very high at the moment, it goes up and down a lot, doesn't it? It fluctuates hugely. In fact, it's gone up over a metre and a half in the last two days. But any sort of a storm actually creates lake-level fluctuations. And I followed three other nests, natural nests, on Lake Wanaka. And over the last week and a half, all of those have been trashed as a result of, of these uh, big storms. And that is really the biggest single problem that facing, um, I think, um, these birds. But from that one pair, what then surprised me was that um, we then got seven pairs turned up from seemingly nowhere. The news suddenly spread. The news spread, <laughs> and how it spread, I don't know. The nests are now numbered from 1 to 14, because this is how many platforms we have out here now. And then one of the things we will be doing probably later on today is rebuilding these nests for them. That is, putting a lot more material on them. And what's the material you put on? We put weed mat on the, on the deck, so I cut into that, and then we've sticks and twigs, mainly willow, uh, into that and that forms the bed of the nest and then I gather weed that's been washed up on the shore and put that on there. The other crazy thing about what's happened here is that having these nest sites available, these birds have bred in winter, in the middle of winter. So the the, the first year um, when we did dealt with number seven, it actually laid its, its eggs on June the 21st. And they're not supposed to breed in the middle of winter, but they do, and they did, and they were very successful. So from going back to very, very beginnings, from the first nest that we managed, it's gone from that one pair to 17 pairs um, in the three years that we, oh, oh, we've been going. Um, we've now got 76 chicks. 76 chicks in three years? In three years, yeah. Wow. Pair over there is going through courtship. So they've got their necks stretched up, they're flicking their heads back yeah, they're, and they're, forth. They're past sitting each other. so high up in the water, aren't they? And their yeah. necks are stretched out and they're flicking them backwards and dancing backwards and forwards with them. They're like ballet dancers, aren't they? It is. It's, it, well, it is so elegant. I think this is the thing that is so beautiful about them. So we've just come to check on one of your platforms, but uh, it's not here, John. It's gone. No, it's... it's <laughs> It'll be it somewhere be, out there. <laughs> it will be somewhere out here. Yeah, we, we've lost actually a total of um, five nests with eggs as a result of storms, and that's always very, very discouraging. What we're going to do with the next ones, we're going to use proper bolts with nuts and washers. But if we use quarter-inch bolts, we then have to change the type of chain we're using. And so, so it goes on. It's become off. a bit of an expensive hobby then. It becomes a very expensive hobby, actually. It's, it's but you talk about we. So it's clearly started off as a project that was just you. But have you enlisted some other people along the way? Yes, I have now. I've had support from the boat owners, particularly actually this one on, on the, uh, the pontoon, who supplied me with a, a lot of um, plywood, surplus plywood, that he had. And that was wonderful. Flotation, for instance, has been a big problem. So what do you uh, use for flotation? Well, we're now using actually swim noodles. And the first swim noodles that I got were all the broken ones from the Wanaka swimming pool. And that was the very first platform that I actually made. 
So two things have happened is that we've got a group of people which we I send an email to pretty much most weeks uh, who what we're calling Grebe Affairs. And they've come in to back me to help with buying uh, swim noodles. And they're such that if I need any help, physical help, there's somebody there to help me. And, and I have one person particularly. We're out here most days of the week fixing something up. So you've just stopped to ask John a question. Who are you? I'm Jim Leckie. I'm a, a Wanaka resident. And I've been looking at grebes for quite a long time too. But John, of course, has been the expert on them. So are you... Interested in what he's been doing with these floating nest platforms and everything? Certainly am, certainly am. Uh, and, and it's been marvellous to see the way the greed population has increased through John's efforts. And um, I think you're one of just many people who are actually really interested to keep collaring John and you know, asking how the greed's getting on, asking questions about what they're doing. Yes, that's right. When I first started seeing greed, they were further up the lake and just sort of individual birds. And at that stage, I thought, oh, that's a, you know, not a bird I'd seen around for a while. And then John got on with these ones here, and, it, and the interest has, has sparked up and, and increased. And it's quite amazing what's happened to... The same thing's happened to a lot of people around the town. They've suddenly sparked a real interest in them. And you've just been watching an adult feeding its chicks? Yes, yes, and John's explaining to me what the situation was because I wasn't sure whether the, the chicks that were on the mother's back were, would actually stay there while she dived but apparently not, but I saw her collecting a little fish from somewhere, and I presume it was from the mate, and, and she turned it round, turned her head round and fed it to a little chick, and he took it out of one gulp. So we've come round onto the roadside, we're a bit closer to the traffic, to check out that pair with the chicks. And did you say you could just see one in the water? So the chick is now back on the back of the, uh, of the adult, the chicks, when they're sitting on the backs, they look like charioteers in, in the sense that they sit right upright and they're really quite amazing uh, to see. There, you see, there's two chicks. Oh, yes, there's, I can just see little heads sticking two. out. There, go. there they go. They're so cute riding on yeah. their parents' back. <laughs> One of the other things that I so often get questioned about is the behaviour that the adults feed the chicks feathers. And, and this has been a, an, an item of considerable discussion in the literature as to why they would be feeding the chicks feathers, which they pluck from their own breasts. The two theories are, one is, is that it actually helps to uh, absorb or deal with fish bones, and the other one is that it's somehow or another considered to be something that, that avoids or helps them to avoid parasitic infections. You'll notice that when they're feeding the feathers to the chicks, they dip them in the water first. And I often wondered whether this is a way of actually getting water to the chicks and, and still keeping them on their back. But having to eat a feather to do that seems pretty extreme. Uh, so I'm really not quite sure uh, what it's all about. John, I was just watching through the binoculars. Those two chicks jumped into the water and then swam across to the other parent who stuck its leg out at a really unusual angle that, to, to be a sort of climbing post it, for the it little is. It's absolutely amazing. They actually put their... When the chicks are very small, they put their hind, one of their hind legs out, the chicks get onto that hind leg, and it's like a, a pneumatic lift, and they bring the chicks up so that they can get on the back much easier. And it's never been recorded before. I'm glad you've seen it, because I couldn't believe it when the first time I saw it. It's amazing. It's amazingly well-organised. Yeah. 
So these are chicks that are about um, two to three days old. Normally would still be on the nest, but um, but with the big storms they've moved off. So it's amazing, yeah. And you two, you're locals? Yes, we are. Yes. And um, I've known, I noticed you're walking along there with your binoculars, so is that so you can have a bit of a look at them? That's why I brought them down to have a look at them, yeah. No, it's good. I go along to Probus, I heard John talk there the other day, so it was good, yeah. And you've had a look through the binoculars at the chicks, they're cute, aren't no, they? they're very, very cute. It's good when you can find them, and they're on the back, so special. Yeah, I love the fact that they just ride around. John was describing it. They look like they're in a little their chariot, and they're the charioteers. Yes. So that's a perfect description. Yes. We did worry about them in the wind, though. That was such strong winds. Mm. So good to see they're doing okay then. They are doing well. Thanks to John. I've just been astonished that almost every day you come down here and there are people, certainly uh, ornithological people, from all over New Zealand are uh, coming here to see grebes. And this, after all, is actually, interestingly, one of the best places in the world to see greens. Well, this is interesting, John, because I had always wondered why you, as a seabird biologist, what you had done retiring to an inland lake. <laughs> <laughs> but what you've done is found yourself the nearest analogue to a seabird you can. Well, I, I suspect there's some truth in that matter. But, it, it, the, I mean, the, the grebe had such a reputation, I think, not just with me, but with all biologists, as being this really quite extraordinary bird and the opportunity to see them and to see them breeding and then to do what we've done was just a, astonishing I, I just never believed that I would be doing this three years after I started. That was retired biologist and grebe man John Darby who for many years was vertebrate curator at Otago Museum That's all for now for more check us out on the web rnz.co.nz slash our changing world Matewa. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.